Hallelujah. We are really excited about where we're headed in the month of September. Uh, this series is something that is desperately burning on Tammy and I's hearts. It's something that we live our lives for. And uh, it's something that we believe that God brings to the forefront because he wants us to understand the magnitude and the depth of how important the family unit is to the entire body of Christ. And so we're excited today to be kicking off this series on uh, family. And over the next four weeks, we're going to take uh, three aspects of family. And the fourth week, we're going to wrap it all up with the idea that you were created to build a legacy for your family. That your family should build a legacy that lasts for a lifetime. Your, your family should be building a legacy right now in Christ that's going to leave your fingerprint on society and every place that you go and that you are. I was uh, interested uh, when, you know, Pastor Rick was talking about the song we sang about the king is here and those types of things. And I'll tell you this, the king is here because his kids are here. And that's who he is. The king wants to be around his kids. And so he shows up. Why? Because that's what a family does. A family shows up when its kids are around. And, and the things that God wants to impart and instill to us is because we are his kids. He is our king. And we are a part of the greatest family that has ever been created. And this family has been created since the beginning of time. That family is called the family of God. We have always been a family, even from the inception of God's creation. And today we're going to talk about that very thing. We're going to talk about how did it all start? Because I think it's, an, it's critical to see how it all started. Because when you understand, especially the concept of marriage and its spiritual significance, you will look at marriage in a different way. See, we were not designed to be married just to meet each other's needs and to live blissfully and happily in life. As a matter of fact, that's about 16th down on the list of the reasons on why we were married. Somebody look at your husband and wife and take a deep breath and say, this is going to be good. I, I know already this is going to be good because if making you happy is 16th on the list, I, I feel relief already. Amen. One of the things when one of the things that when we look at this idea of being husband and wife, we have to understand the complexity of husband and wife, man and woman. Now we were created in God's image, but man are we different. And so Amen. there's certain things that we need to see as we focus on the family. We can look at uh, just a couple different things as uh, we try to understand each other. Men, just be, take a deep breath and understand all those things that you don't understand, it's because they're complex. And so the book of understanding women has finally arrived in the bookstores. And here it is. And this is only volume one. There's 10 volumes. And so once you begin, this looks like a bill that passes Congress, amen? 
And so this is number one volume, and it's finally arrived in the bookstores. I encourage you to go to Barnes & Noble and pick it up and begin reading it today. Or you can just listen to this four-week series on family, and it'll take care of all those things. So men, that's, that's a little bit of understanding what it's like to understand women. Now, see what happens when you name a hurricane after a man? He won't ask directions, he wanders around lost, leaves a mess, and does not clean up after himself. What else can I say? <laughs> Are you referring to the last hurricane that came wandering through not knowing where it needed to go? Well, so this will help us to just kind of relax and take a deep breath and then understand. I want to pray to start this entire series because I believe this to be true, that God wants our church to be made up of strong families. Because when strong families make up the, the core of who we are as a church, we become a strong church, and a strong church can make a major impact in the place that God has designed for us to be. So we're really excited to start this series off, and we believe that after these four weeks that you're going to see God's design for the family, and it's going to change and make an impartation into all of our lives. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you this morning for the idea of what you created family to be. We thank you for your design. We thank you that you never leave us wanting, but that you always show us exactly what your design is set forth to do. Father, today we thank you, God, that you are our king, you are our father, we are your children, and you do want to reveal things about the family to us that will strengthen and release and relieve and reduce anxieties and just make it a peaceful thing to have a family created in your image. And so, Father, today, as we bring forth the first part of this four-part series, we pray that we would lay a foundation in marriage today that would help us, God, to not only succeed in what we call marriage in the sense of what it looks like in our house, but that we would be those who portray the image that we were created in. And so, Lord, today, as we delve into the things of marriage, lead us and guide us and show us from your perspective what marriage is intended to do. And, Lord, we just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm really excited most today, though, is that my buddy is going to be with me today, and we're going to be doing this uh, uh, message together, and so uh, that excites me very much. And the reason it excites me is because my wife is a researcher, and from the very minute we found Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, she made it her mission to see what God's design was for our marriage. And when we had children, she made it her mission to see what God's design for raising those kids would be. And so you're going to be much better off of hearing a message from the expert today than you are from me. But I'm going to give it my best anyway. Look at me, if you would, for, uh, in Genesis 1, 26 and, and 28. And we're going to start right from the beginning because I think that God has designed something in such an intimate and integral way 
that we need to plant the seed from the foundational viewpoint of what God has in store for our lives and, and, and our marriage. Look, it says in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. This is a critical point that you have to understand. When it comes to the idea of what our marriages are supposed to look for, look like, we have to look at whose image that we were created in. This is an integral point in the whole idea of what our marriage is. Let us make man in our image according to what? Our likeness. One of the things that I love to point out at this particular moment, who is our? Is God schizophrenic or is he making a point about what he is and who he is? Our image is the image of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that I think is interesting when we talk about being made in his likeness and his image, and it's going to be a, a part of joining ourselves together with somebody, then we need to think of the way that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have joined themselves together. I love it when we get to this part and I ask people, how many arguments have you seen God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have? And the reality is none. And we were created in their image. What is their image about? It's about using the uniqueness of all three sides of the Trinity to accomplish what God has set forth when it was his idea to create us in that image. In other words, he wanted us to have this incredible relationship with him, knowing we were in his likeness, his personality, and all of his traits are in us. So when we look at being uh, made according to his image, he goes on to say, let us have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the cattle, uh, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on it. And listen to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, what? Male and female. So when we talk about the relationship of marriage, marriage was always intended to be between one man and one woman. Okay? So why would God do that? Because he has a specific purpose for this relationship. And so when the idea of what God created, why he created it, becomes clouded, then the idea of the purpose of that relationship becomes confused. And so we look at verse 28. Here's an interesting thing. What did God do when he created them? It says he blessed them. Now, this is an interesting concept because the very first thing that God wanted those to be who were created in his image is he wanted them to be blessed. Why is that foundationally important to understand? Because God, when we are created in his image, he first wants us to be blessed, and then he wants us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it and what? Have dominion over it. Why is it important for us to understand that when God created us, he blessed us, he wanted us to come together in unity. He wanted to provide a, a, a mate for us. And then he wanted us to have dominion is this. Because in what God has established from the beginning, 
and, and how good it is. The enemy understands God's function. And he knows that God has created us to come together as one. And he, he expresses in his word, he says that God commands a blessing in that unity. So why is the enemy always trying to separate a husband and wife at the core? It's because he knows God has commanded a blessing over his children. And he knows that in order for you to be blessed, that you must be unified. So the enemy works overtime in destroying the relationship of husband and wife because when he knows he brings destruction to what he's called to bring dominion, that he can then bring destruction to the core of the family. And when the family is broken, its ability to do what God has called it to do uh, becomes reduced to the place to where it's not now you're 50-50 in, in what you can uh, accomplish, but it's destroyed beyond that. And so we have to understand that from the beginning, the way God created man, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Let them be blessed. Let them multiply. Let them uh, uh, continue to build something that's at the very core of why I created man. And so when God does something creative that is going to bring a blessing to you, then you can rest assured the enemy is going to want to come against that. Now turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 2, because we're going to Build this from the foundation and the core of what God has called us to do. Now, one of the things that we have to understand, the missing link to marriage is the absolute spiritual destiny that marriage has. Not the physical destiny of marriage. Because when we bring marriage into the place to where it's destiny is only physical it will never find its place because the flesh is never the ultimate destiny of what God wants to do in our lives we must understand that our marriages have a spiritual destiny okay so let's look at Genesis chapter 2 verses 21 through 23 it says in uh, 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took out one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord had taken out of the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. See, I firmly believe that at an early age that God brought Tammy into my life. Why is that important to know? Because if you believe God brought Eve to Adam or Adam to Eve, then you've got to understand, was that a one-time only thing? Or is that what he's good at doing? Right. See, I believe God's good at doing that. I believe that he's good at creating something that is a bond that he's going to build from the very beginning. And so when I believe that God has brought Tammy to me, then I look at Tammy differently. See, I don't look, when I first saw Tammy come out of the uh, cafeteria in seventh grade, trust me, it wasn't the Spirit of God that was moving <laughs> on me saying, oh, Lord Jesus, spiritually I'm fulfilled. 
with this hot chick that just came out of the cafeteria. <laughs> I mean, she captured my eye because of the beauty that was on the outside. But I believe that when she captured my eye that God began to do something on my inside, even at a young age. And so when I, if I believe that Tammy is my gift from God and she is God's daughter, then I become thankful for her in a whole different level. I become appreciative to God for bringing me such a gift and I watch over her differently because I know she is a daughter of the king, amen? And so the way I treat her comes from a spiritual standpoint and not a physical standpoint. The physical side of our relationship is the bonus of how good God is, but the reality side of our relationship, because of what he wants to accomplish in us, comes from the spiritual side. And so when we look at how God is creating things, and Adam said in verse 23, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, everyone say therefore. Therefore. A man shall leave his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, one of the things that you have to understand is, is this is a spiritual uniting once again. So when Tammy stands up here, we have to understand that when God created us to be one, we have to understand that he did not create woman out of the foot bone of man. Why is that significant? Because somewhere along the line, men have thought for years and in many nations that, the old, that women have no value. And if he would have created woman out of the foot bone of man, that would have given man everything he needed to say, that woman is supposed to be under my foot. That's why God created her out of the uh, uh, bone of my foot. That's not true. He created her out of uh, a rib from Adam because I believe symbolically that this is always how he has destined husband and wife to be, side by side, strengthen each other, becoming one flesh. And so when we're unified in this position, there's something that proves to the point that when the Bible says the two shall become one because they are connected in this fashion, and there's a hundred different things more that we could talk about that in the strengthening of being side by side. We know that one can put a thousand to flight, but two can send a legion fleeing. See, our relationship was never intended to be a relationship of, multiple, or, uh, of addition because that would mean it was a relationship of the physical side. But two, uh, one can put a thousand to flight, two can send ten thousand fleeing. When you stand side by side in the spiritual connection, you're not just getting the blessing and the impartation of flesh. You're getting the power that God has intended our relationships to have. Exponential power comes when God unites two together. And why is that the case? Because the enemy wants to separate it. But God says, no weapon formed against us shall prosper, and all those who rise up against us shall fall. And why is that critical to know? Because you have to know, when the enemy comes to separate you, that 99.9% .9 of your 
discussions that go the wrong way in a relationship go that way because you're trying to please the physical side of you. And it's going to take a breakdown of the physical to move you into the place of the spiritual to understand that is an attack from the enemy. And we cannot let anything separate us because we say this, what God has joined together. Let no man separate this, right? We say that in a, in, in, in a wedding ceremony. So we have to understand that we were created in the image of God. He created us, the first couple, as the Bible says, that we were created in His image. And He describes us as one flesh. The unity that... Uh, uh, he intended for us needs to be so complete that the Hebrew word for one, ashad, means one, unit or unity. In the same word it uses to describe God in Deuteronomy 6, 4, one unit, working together, being strengthened together for the purposes of the multiplication of what God has in store for us. Created in His image means this, that your marriage was intended to be a billboard for God. Your marriage was intended to be an advertisement of that unity. Your marriage was designed that when people watch you operate in unity, that when they ask you, how can you guys be that much in love? then it points to the one who loves us more than anyone can imagine. The king is here because his kids are here. And he wants us to mirror his image. And that's a foundation of the idea of why marriage is a spiritual unity designed to do great things for the kingdom. And our fourth message is going to be concerning the legacy that it leaves but your marriage will never leave a legacy unless it's built on a spiritual foundation and not a physical aspect. And so uh, Tammy's going to come now and she's going to begin to talk about some things in, in a different uh, venue. I think one of the things is we're going to hit so many points we would love to hit, but we only have so much time. But I want to share with you one of the main points, I think, that when you've been married a little bit or you've been married a long period of time, we seem to lose um, this thought. No one is perfect. There is not a perfect person. There's not a perfect marriage. And you're not a failure because your marriage may not be perfect. Amen? Amen. No one's perfect. We love each other. I mean, we love each other. We still have things and challenges we need to overcome. And it doesn't stop once we got saved and we learn a year or two years. It's a continual learning process in our marriage to be all that God has called us to be. And the Bible says that no one's perfect, and I know this because in Psalms 53, 3, no one is righteous, no, not one. And we need to remember that our partner is not perfect, and that there are flaws that our partners have. And sometimes the flaws that or the, the things that draw you to your spouse can end up being the flaw that irritates you the most. Amen. Case in point. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you brought that up. 
I love, I was, I was a very serious child. I, I was not a funny person. I was very serious, da, 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 da. Dwight's a very happy, joyful man. And so there was a drawing that I loved about him because it drew me to him because it's something I didn't have. So I seen that it completed me and it was really good till we got married. <laughs> and then we would have conversations and I remember looking at him and said, can you ever be serious? Because the truth is he didn't know that there were moments in time I needed him to be serious. It wasn't a time to be funny. So those things that are flaws that we draw to because we fall in love with them can end up being the thing that brings it a flaw or an irritation in the lives of our marriage. And those things can get on our nerves. And we need to recheck ourselves on some of those things. You know, one of the flaws that I had was is um, I'm a list person. Dwight's a spontaneous person. Early in our marriage, I had a list, and I wanted to be the best wife I could be. And I remember sitting down for dinner, and I eat very, very fast in our family, and Dwight is diametrically opposite. He eats very, 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 very slow. So I fed the three kids, and I would just woof, and then I'm sitting there, you know, waiting for him to get done. So I didn't wait any longer. I went and got the dishcloth, lifted up his plate, and started cleaning up the dinner table. And he looks at me and goes, I'm not done eating yet. But it was on my list. I needed my list checked off. And we need to be sure that we are more important, uh, have our focus more on people and not on things. And I think that that can be a challenge in our marriage as we go through things. And we need to love them where they're at each and every day of our lives. Even when it's hard, you choose to love even when they're stressed, when they're grouchy, and when they're absolutely unright, unlovable, we need to choose to say, I'm going to love them no matter what. Because we need to remember that Jesus loved us when we were unlovable. Amen. And in the Bible it says, in John 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. You need to work on being friends with your spouse. You need to find time, make time to find that time so you guys can become friends. If you're not, if your friends push the envelope in becoming deeper in your friendship, we're not perfect. And I know there's a game Yahtzee out there. And in this game, there's a scorecard. You know, you're keeping your things. You need to make sure you're not keeping a scorecard of our spouse's wrongs. We cannot keep scorecards. We need to throw those scorecards away because we will fail you. I will fail Dwight. I'm not perfect. I probably failed him yesterday. We fail, but we cannot keep a scorecard. We need to throw that scorecard away because greater love than to lay down our life. We need to lay down our life because that scorecard will not help you have a healthy, relationship with your spouse. We need to be a person that does not pick continually on our spouse. We're not perfect, but we need to be aware that we're not nitpicking at our spouse to be what we want them to be. We need to accept our spouses for who they are 
exactly how God made them, and through the years, it can be the things that drive you nuts. But we have to choose to continue to love and to not pick. Because the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 and 3, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances, making allowances for each other's faults because we love, because of your love for us. We need to make sure that we overlook. We can't keep that card. We need to throw that card away. Once you have an offense, you apologize. You as a spouse needs to, to throw it out and not bring it back up in the midst of uh, discussions. There is one perfect man, his name is Jesus. We need to accept our spouse for exactly who they are. Because the truth is, in Proverbs 19:11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook an offense. There are some things that you bring up for discussion in a marriage. There are some things you just need to overlook. We might be having a bad day. We might be in menopause. Just overlook them. Amen? Your marriage will stay strong in those seasons when you choose to love the unlovable person that we're married to. We need to accept that our spouses are not perfect, will never be perfect, and we cannot fix them. The only person in my challenges when I had in my marriage was to go to God and allow God to change Dwight, not me. And that will save you years of unhappiness. Amen? And the other thing you might find out is, is God's not going to do anything to change them because that's exactly how he created us to be. And instead of wanting to change what God has created, we need to learn to appreciate it and do all we can to make it better. See, our job as spouses are to see what God is doing and what he has created and work to make it even better. And so, you know, that's when we get into this place to where we talk about unconditional love. You know, the love that God loves us with is the same love that we need to love our spouses with. And so I want to end this section with another idea of laying a spiritual foundation of what marriage is about so that we can learn to walk in his wisdom in our relationship. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I am going to just make a point or two about this particular text of Scripture. We know this is the text of Scripture that talks to us about submitting to each other. How do we know that? Because it's easy to read from verse 22 to 31, but we can't forget verse 21. And verse 21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of God, or in the respect of God. In the NLT, that's what it talks about, and I think that's, uh, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This isn't, see, let's, let's make this spiritual again. We're submitting to one another out of the respect that we have for God, not out of the respect that we have for each other. 
Because at times when you're in relationship, you've lost your respect for the other person because it's not fulfilling the physical or the fleshly desires that you have. This isn't about the flesh. This is about the spirit. So when we submit to one another, we do it out of the respect that we have Amen. for God. When we respect God in this way, we respect what he has created. And we have to respect our spouses in the idea of what they were created to do, not what they're to bring to us. You'll never love anyone unconditionally when you're expecting them to meet all of your needs. You will never meet the, all the needs of your spouse because that's what God's for. Right. And so that's why I need to drive and motivate Tammy to have the best relationship that she can have with God. Because when she's in tune with God, she's going to have a, 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 a willingness to forgive me. Now listen, in verse 23, for as the husband is head of the wife... And also Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Therefore, everybody say therefore. therefore. Just as the church is subject to Christ, let wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Because verse 25 says this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself what? Up for her. Listen. The reason Christ gave himself up for the church is because he knew the church had faults. He knew that we were sinners. He knew that there was no other way that we were going to find restitution for our sins than to give his life for her. And so what woman, men, would not want to submit to a person who's willing to die for that person? And men, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but when you unite together as one, your example to your wife is to live as Christ lived when he gave himself up for the church. And so when we honor them, we are not honoring the physical. We are honoring the spiritual. And so we have to understand, our, if our marriages are going to mirror the image of Christ. We have to have a spiritual dignity to our relationship that wants to make each person the very best they can be Amen. in the eyes of Christ. Amen? Amen? So baby, come. One of the things is another thing that I really found out that um, we need to stay humble. I mean, it is easy to allow pride to easily creep into your marriage through the years. Um, and, and being humble is thinking about others. It's about putting God up there and not thinking about yourself. And it's very easy that we're born into this world. Let's face it, newborn babies are very selfish. If you watch a one or two year old, they throw the tantrum at a, a young age because they know that they want something. And we need to be careful that we don't fall into that, that uh, same attitude as um, uh, being sel uh, selfish and prideful, that we need to keep a heart of humbleness. And in um, 1 Peter 5.5, 5, it says, All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. I was so thrilled that this spirit and theme was grace today, is that we really do need to put on humility. We get up every day and we get dressed because we would not walk outside our doors buck naked. 
We need to get up every day and be clothed with the spirit of humility. It is something you need to intentionally think about in the morning when you get up. You need to put humility on. It's not about you. It's about others. That's what humility is all about. And why? Because pride and arrogance will cause God to resist you. But being humble allows God's grace to come into your circumstances and move the way only God can move. Because grace is the kindness that God shows because he loves you and he loves me. And that's why we put it on every day. We don't put on stale clothes or smelly clothes every day. We put on clean clothes. That means we need to put on new humility every single day. And I know that we have many terms that we use. We can be intense discussions. We can discuss. Let's face it, there are arguments that happen in a marriage, right? They happen. They just happen. But we need to keep on that spirit of humility every single day because when you're in an argument and someone wins, who wins? No one. Because the two are one now. Nobody's nobody's winning. She's fulfilling my love language of touch right now. I just thought I would give that out here as a visual. (laughs) Amen. And I think it's so important to remember the spiritual aspect of that, that if you're really one, if you're joined together, if you're unified, that it's not about winning an argument. Because what that does is it takes away the value from that spouse of not hearing their viewpoint. We are diametrically opposite. Believe it or not, I know people look at me and say, no, you're not. We are really diametrically opposite. And we need to come to the point that we're in a discussion that could be heated. I still have to be quiet and listen for his viewpoint because I'm validating him. Does not mean that I have to agree with him. I still respect and honor him, but I'm listening to him. That values our spouse. It gives respect. It shows our our spouse how much we love them because we're validating, we're listening, we're acknowledging. That's great, you feel that way. But you have to do it with the spirit of humility as you go forth. Because we need to be a people who are value-adding to our marriage. How do we do that? You need, I need to examine my marriage on a regular basis. Ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, am I being the best wife that I can be to my husband? Am I, to the husbands, am I being the best husbands that I need to be for my wife? There's something of calling upon the Holy Spirit. Now, I've been corrected before and it's not been nice. But if you ever have been sweetly corrected by the Holy Spirit, you don't feel condemned, you don't feel guilt, you don't feel shame. I'm telling you, there is such a sweetness when you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Is there any way that I have unintentionally wounded, said something, done something that has affected my spouse? And the Lord just sweetly can speak to your heart and reveal it to you. Go make it right, because then God throws it in the sea to be forgotten. So we need to throw it into the sea to be forgotten 
which goes back to not keeping scorecards. I think that it says many times um, being humble are times that I don't always feel like doing things Dwight asked me to do. And because of he, he travels a lot, he's always asking me, did you wash the car and did you mow the grass? <laughs> the two things I just don't like to do. I don't like outside yard work. And, and I tell him I like to put the car out of the garage so the rain cleans it. And that's just not good enough for him. But you know what? He likes it. I need to humble my desires, my things I like, and choose to bless and honor my husband. I know some of you think that is the most silliest thing, but I really don't like yard work, so it's a big thing to me. He likes his car cleaned. He likes his yard mowed, and everybody in our family knows that. Everyone knows that. But we need to keep a mindset of complete humility and in the scriptures, in Colossians 3.23, we need to work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for Dwight. You need to insert your spouse's name in there. Everything that I do, I have to remind myself. I have to get a mindset. I want to do this under the Lord. And when we do that, it, it's, a, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. It's a big thing. I want to ask you some questions, and I want you just to think about them. Do you talk a lot about yourself? Do you get defensive when your wife or husband challenges the way you think or has a different way of doing something? Because Paul diagnosed it in the scriptures to us in Romans 12, 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with a sober judgment. We need to be very intentional about keeping our, uh, our hearts in a humble attitude because pride can quickly come in. But we need to choose to love. We need to choose to prefer one another. Choose to prefer one another above ourselves. Amen. Yes, and when we do that, then the Spirit of God is what's able to operate in our lives. When we think about how do we live in what Tammy was just saying, choosing love over the ideology of what we want to do, turn with me to James chapter 1 here. Let's look at a, a scripture here just real quickly. James 1.19 says this, Okay. And here's how you can know whether you're adding value to your relationship or you're trying to take something out of a conversation. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. Let him be slow to speak. And let him be slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When we're getting into that place to where there's a, a, a rise of irritation through the idea of what we're disagreeing on, you have to understand that this is the first part where the enemy comes in to separate, divide, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And so when we look at things from a spiritual standpoint, we see that it's really easy to see. 
that God has set our physical bodies up in a way that exemplifies this particular scripture. So then, my brethren, let everyone be swift to hear. Real newsflash for you. You have two ears. God wants you to listen twice as much. You have two ears because when somebody's yelling at you on the left side and the right side, God wants you to be able to clearly hear it. But what God wants you to do is realize he's given you one mouth. And so he wants you to use that mouth slowly. The Bible says the tongue is like a rudder. It's the smallest member of the body. And that rudder, as you puke something out of your mouth with your tongue, that same tongue that we use to worship the Lord cannot be the same tongue that we try to destroy another person with. Be quick to hear. So when you're being quick to hear, a lot of times out of emotion, men and women, we say things that that's not what we intended to say or the way we said it. So when your spouse says something to you and you're trying to, to, to value them, you need to repeat back what they just said to you. The reason why you do that is, is because 95% of the time that you are in a conversation that has a significant value to you personally, as that person is speaking to you, you're automatically already formulating what you're going to say back to them. And the majority of the time, it's defending your position and not listening to what they are truly saying. What happens is when you listen to value the other person, you repeat back to them what they have said to try to make sure you understand what they're feeling. When you do that, you add value. When you are formulating a response to get your word across to hurt them, you don't add anything, you subtract something. And so in love for each other, We've got to get into the place that as we love somebody, the Bible says this, doesn't it? It's easy to love somebody when they look great, they love you, they do everything they want you to do. But it's not as easy to love somebody who you're having a disagreement with or you're not philosophically aligned with. So the Bible says that's the time you need to love the most. When, when your spouse can be perceived as being unlovable. But see, God's given us tools. And that when we use these tools out of the spiritual barometer of making our marriage everything that God has designed it to be, then we can, do, we can continue to build something. When you listen with both ears and respond accordingly, you bring value to your spouse. And what we are called to do when we love unconditionally, isn't it what Jesus has done in you? He's added value to you, hasn't he? He's made you feel like you're the most important thing that he's ever created. And when you feel that way, you operate differently now, don't you? And so when you feel loved by God, then you're willing to step out and do those things that God has designed for you to do much easier than not understanding how much he loves you. And it's the same thing with our spouses. When we love expecting nothing in return, then that person has value added to them. 
Now, here's the risky endeavor. If you never get anything back from your spouse, are you still willing to love them and honor them and cherish them for what God has created? Well, I have found out this. When I look and expect something in return from Tammy, I'm always disappointed. When I love her expecting nothing in return, and then she returns love to me in some other way, shape, or form, my excitement for life goes out of the roof. In the same way, it goes down to the bottoms and the depths when I'm expecting something from her. And what happens is, is when we love that way, it's a no-win situation for the person that is trying to love us. We have to look at the person that we've married and appreciate all the things that drew us to them are the same things that we need to continue to rest on as we move forward in our relationships together and with God. So we need to add value in life. And Tammy's good at expressing that. So babe, tell us about how we can add value. We need to be our spouse's biggest cheerleader. You just don't hear about it anymore. We need to be the ones that are encouraging, that are cheering our spouses on for the things that God wants to do. One thing that I love about my marriage is no matter what is going on with God and Dwight and what's going on with me and God, we are our biggest supporters pushing and encouraging one another to do the things that God's laid upon our hearts. Um, we have to support one another. I had read in this book one time this statement, and it impacted me, and I want to I um, have uh, Corinne put it up there. It says, a spiritually alive marriage will remain a marriage of two individuals in pursuit of a common vision outside of themselves. We are unified. We are one. What, man, what God has put together is one, but yet we're still two individuals. His fingerprint is not my fingerprint. My fingerprint is totally different. The calls in Dwight's life and the calls of mine are too different. Dwight thrives on teaching and being in front of people. I thrive to be behind the scenes. That's where I am the most comfortable. That's where I feel like God's placed that on me. And so I want to say that those are the things that we need to, to see as differences, but yet we're different. We're, you, we're one, but we're two individuals with a common goal of serving God. And I think that in Romans 12, 4, it says, For we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same functions. And when you realize that God's calling you in a marriage as one, it can be done. It, sounds, it can be, sound a little confusing, but we're one but we have two different calls in our life. Are we encouraging our spouse to walk out? Because do you know what? It's going to cost you something. Yeah, that's right. You want to know what it cost me? Dwight came to me and said, I feel like the Lord told me to go to Cuba. I had three little girls at that time. One was recently diagnosed as an insulin diabetic. I was still working my way through life. How do I deal with this? He says, can you pray and see what the Lord shows you? And I said, I will definitely pray. And I felt like the Lord told me he needs to go to Cuba. And so I shared with him, 
I really believe this is a God thing. But I did not know at the time that the Lord spoke to me, it would be three entire weeks that I was a single parent. I have such honor for single parents. Let me say that right now. I don't know how you do it. May God bless you. I just, I am, I was overwhelmed. My world got rocked. I didn't realize what it was to be a single parent. But I'm telling you, I did, I even had to get them ready on Sundays all by myself for three weeks. I had to get them up. I had to get the two off to school. There was a whole thing that cost me something. This was my time. When we do those things that God calls us to do, to be the best cheerleader, to make his call, his call, I'm going to have to push him forward because it shows our spouse how much we love them. We need to have a mindset of wanting the best for our spouse, no matter what we feel. We need to not allow, in those times, envy and jealousy to come in. If your husband or your wife is in a job and she's worked tirelessly and she's gotten a raise and a promotion, don't you get jealous, Adam. You will never be able to cheer them on to do the things that God's called them to do. Or if you've been promoted somewhere in the church and you're like, wow, I didn't get anything, we need to still encourage that. It's not about you. We keep the humility. We clothe ourselves with humility daily. Because if you are not supporting your spouse, who will they turn to to get support? It is a day in society that you can have an affair emotionally. And it's very easy because your spouse needs to be the person that you're confiding in, that you're sharing things with, and that you're cheering them on. Because when they feel secure in that, they know that no matter what storm you go through, they will be there encouraging you and walking the walk with you. And that's what our spouses need to know when we go through hard times, that they can lean on you for support because you're a cheerleader. As I was preparing for this, there was a picture. We were going through our basement, cleaning up our basement. And so you know how you get going and you run into old, old pictures, and then you don't even clean the basement. You just sit there and look at pictures. Well, that's what happened to us. And I came across an old picture of me. I was a cheerleader in high school. I don't have a picture. And the reason you don't have a picture is because I'm so old, the picture turned yellow, and you wouldn't be able to see it anyhow. This was back in the day when you could build, like, um, mounts, like four layers of girls. And I was like, I always wanted to be the little tiny petite one at the top who went, yes, that's who I wanted to be. I was never that girl. I was the girl that was always on the base. And the Lord quickly put in my heart, he said, I put you there in Dwight's life to allow him to step upon you so you can be the one that pushes him up to walk out the call of God in his life. We need to be cheerleaders in our spouse's life, that we're allowing them to climb upon us, that we can push them up to be everything that God's called them to be. Because it's not about the the physical, as, as Dwight said, it's about the spiritual. And when we turn and wrap our minds around, really, what does God have for us in a marriage? It's that.
It's to let God be shined as the billboard of Jesus Christ, the bride in the church. And that's our job in our marriage. It's more. Now, I do want to say this. The physical is awesome. God's not pushing it away and saying it's not good. Intimacy is great. But you have to see it beyond just intimacy. Because that's how God sees it. The interesting thing about this exact thing that Tammy's talking about is, is what you're seeing here is what I've seen for 20 years. But 20 years ago, she would have never gotten in front of you guys to talk about the things that she's amazing at. But now, this is not the same person who has been here uh, uh, over the whole time. People think that we share the exact same personality traits, and just because we look that way at times is not the truth. Like she is saying, this is not her number one excitement. This is my number one excitement. I love being up here and preaching and teaching. And so one of the things that I've had to do is see this gem in her and work to polish it for years and years and years. For Tammy to come up here and speak, we don't prepare messages the same way at all. And I knew it was going to happen this week. She was going to say early this week. I gave him all the notes, yeah. and he hasn't used one of them. That's he doesn't even mind the clock time. I was watching him, and I had to look over the offense very quickly <laughs> because it might have been shown on my face. You won 20 minutes. That was only supposed to be 10 minutes, honey. I know, but wasn't that good? That was so good. Come on, give me some. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, what I'm saying is, is this, is that we've went over this message two or three times where we have actually spoke it this week. That is not what I do. And I knew it was coming. And I knew it was going to drive me nuts. And so, but what I did was, is every time it's like, sweetheart, I can't wait to do that. And I'm excited to hear. I'm excited. And she's like, well, now you stand up and you do it. And I'm like, baby, I, I don't do that. That is not what I do. But what did I do? I stood up and did it. Like, you were in front of me. I practiced the thing. And then I said, okay, it's your turn now. And she... This was important to you her. You know what? He didn't practice anything that he said to you today did he practice with me. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. It was great stuff. He just didn't. That's how he rolls. But I know to bring her to the place that she is the most effective, I had to die to me. And, and, and do that which was going to make her feel comfortable to be up here. And so she is not the same person that she was 20 years ago. What I wanted her to be able to do 20 years ago, she's doing now. And it's because of honoring her in her position and helping her get to the place and letting her climb on my back so that I could be the base for her. And that's what it's all about. And so I sit here and just look at her and I marvel at what God has done for her because I'm her biggest cheerleader. And I'm excited for God to be able to, I watch her do things now in other countries that just blow me away. And so would you stand with me first of all, because that'll help me to reduce the amount of time that I'm going to speak on this last point, okay? 
And at least I'm going to try. The Bible says this, and I want you to see this in a different way. We have this hanging in our homes. We have it stenciled on walls. We bought it in Amish country on a plaque, this scripture. And it says, unless the Lord builds the house, here, here's the whole deal. Unless God builds, we cannot build the house that he wants to inhabit. We cannot do that in the flesh. And unless we do all the things that we both talked about to honor and reverence the Lord because this is what he wants, we'll never build the legacy of family that he has designed because you cannot build a godly legacy in the flesh. You can only build it in the spirit and it means continually dying to who you are so that you can promote the gift that God has given you. I want you to leave today, men and women who are married, and I want you to look at your spouse differently. I want you to see this is my gift. Men, I want you to understand your wife first and foremost is a daughter of the Most High God. And when you devalue God's daughter, shame on us. We need to value the gift that God has given us. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless God guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In vain you rise up early to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows or worries, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with their enemies in the gate. God is first building and establishing a marriage that is going to bring us to a place to where we are going to look like him and we are going to be able to minister for the greater good of mankind. Father, I just thank you and praise you today. I thank you for what has been just a, an unbelievable honor to do this message with my wife, your daughter, my gift. And I just thank you, God, that you've enriched her so amazingly with the knowledge that you've given her on marriage and parenting and the family, and that I've been able to benefit from that for 39 years. Father, I thank you, God, for our congregation. I thank you for the families that represent who we are. I pray today that as you strengthen marriages, that you would strengthen the families, strengthen the children. Because, Father, a strong marriage brings stability to the home. And, Father, we need to be stable in you and not in the things of the world. And so, Father, today as we bring it to talk about the power and the significance of family over this month, we pray that by the end of this time that there will be a new revelation and a new excitement for marriage 
and parenting and finances and for the desire to build that godly legacy. And we thank and praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. I hope that this is the first of four great weeks for you to be strengthened in your home.